Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. This is a really cool episode, um, one that echoes with the phrase that I like to say all the time, not the one at the end of every podcast where I say, take care and take someone hunting. The other thing, probably the, the tagline that I should have started with for ending the podcast, but it was just the first thing that popped in my head at the time. I felt like it had some good meaning to it. But here's something that I say often. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll see me post this all the time. Hunting brings people together. And yet again, that is happening in my life right now. I am here with Mr. Brent Barnett of brownfield ag news right yep and uh brent and i turns out we live in the same uh zip code we have i think it's the same zip code um but we live very close by in fact um can we say this much brent we both killed a turkey off of the same piece of ground that's right it's public ground um well, that's as specific as we're going to get. It didn't, it we didn't know re- that we until re- today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to return to the well. <laughs> so yeah. we're not going to tell you what piece of ground that was. But um, it was uh, it, it was good to both of us this year. It was uh, very good to both of us. But that's how close together we live. And so how did we meet? Well, um, our mutual friend, a very good person, Mr. Noel Gandy of Buck Ventures, the Woodsman, he introduced us through uh facebook he's like hey you guys need to know each other you live by each other and i think noel had just done a uh uh, radio segment with brent and that segment that noel recorded with brent was about uh the epic story of stare down a three-year quest for this incredible iowa whitetail and uh, you can actually, uh, I think you can hear that interview that Brent did with him on Brent's Facebook page. Is it on your Instagram as well? Uh, just on Facebook for now. And it's on it's, our, I don't know if you, I can say my company website. Sure, oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's brownfieldagnews.com. Okay, yep. Brownfield Ag New- brownfieldagnews.com. Yep. So you can go there and you can hear the whole story of uh, that Noel told to Brent. And then you can compare notes and listen to episode like uh, 130-something. I should know this because it was just a few episodes ago, but it's hard to keep track of them all. Uh, the last full-length episode that I had Noel on just a couple weeks ago, a couple Fridays ago. And uh, you can hear the whole story there as well from Noel. But all that to say, Noel's a mutual friend. He figured out that we lived right by each other. And he's like, hey, you guys should meet. So here we are. And uh, we're eating some delicious brown mushrooms. A shout out to my coworker. <clears throat> a shout out to my coworker, Peyton. Uh, who uh, donated some delicious morels to my family. And so Brent and I are enjoying them. And a shout-out to my wife for uh, frying them up for us. She did an excellent job. But uh, here we are tonight to talk about turkey season. It's over now. Unless you're like in, uh, I think out west, they still have seasons going on. And I think Michigan still has a season left or something. Our good buddy Alex Gruen, uh, who's often co-hosting this podcast with me, he has a big hunt planned with a bunch of his clients, so there's more re- reason right there to join 
with uh, Alex and um, uh, get you know those perks of getting to be one of his clients and getting to do a group hunt like this. But anyways, most states, I think turkey season is winding down. Um, for Brent, you hunted, was it first season or second season? Uh, it was the second season. Second it was season. the one that opened April 14th. I think that was season okay. two. And so I think if I remember right, if you look back at how the weather went, the week before that, which would have been season one, was weather like what we're having now. It was like warm and, uh, you know, typical spring, you know, like literally 75, 80 degrees. And then came second season and we went back to uh, like February, March weather, snow, sleet, slush, cold, very windy. It was very windy there for a couple weeks. And uh, Brent didn't let that deter him. So we're going to get we're going to get to that story. <laughs> but uh, we need to get to know Brent a little bit better. So Brownfield Ag, have you always been in radio? Like, has that always been part of your career? Yeah, it was, you know, my, I always said my, my dream job, I was going to be the future announcer of the Chiefs. Right? Oh, there you go. So I was wanting to be a big time sportscaster. Went to, went to school at Northwest Missouri State in Maryville and uh, got a, bachelor's degree in mass media and got really got into radio there i kind of always knew what my dream job was what i wanted to go into which is fortunate i guess yeah and uh you know i could even think back to whenever i was even uh, a younger kid playing like you know the madden video games oh yeah muting the tv and broadcasting the game while i'm playing oh really that's cool so that that was just always kind of in my dna i guess and you know, out of out of college, I I worked for a really a really good company in Southwest Iowa, uh, KMA Radio sure. in Shenandoah, and there they have a long history. I think they're actually approaching their 100 year anniversary of wow. being a business. Um, yeah, you should have, you have to look up their history. There's a book about them. It's, it's really cool stuff. Yeah, that's but, really interesting. You know, that was where and I did sports and news there for you know five or six years, and that was where I got introduced to farm and agriculture reporting and you know coming out of college i didn't know that that was even really an option sure and you know i had a really good mentor at kma his name's dean atkins he's probably i i always say he's the best farm broadcaster i've ever met Hmm. and really got uh, accustomed to that and interested in it you know reading the markets on the air and learning about some of the issues impacting farmers an opportunity came one day f- to to work for the Iowa Ag Network that's based out of Des Moines. So I transitioned there and, and worked a couple years with some good leadership there and really developed my skills a lot more. And um, that was a really good, a really good opportunity for us and our family. And, um, and then out of the blue, one day here, well, I just had my one year anniversary with Brownfield Ag News. They... Uh, you know, reached out and said that they might have an opportunity. And if anybody listening is familiar with Brownfield, they're the largest farm radio network in the United States. Wow. Um, and so they have a network of hundreds of stations all across the, all across the country. Wow. And it's just been a, a real, a real big blessing for, for our family. And we get to stay where we're located at here in town and everything's just going really good for us that's awesome glad to hear that yeah. and uh uh it's just neat to see how careers flow for people you know it's like you never imagine yourself where you end up being and 
you couldn't script it for yourself. And I've actually talked about that with Noel before with how he ended up from Mississippi all the way up to Iowa. And, and uh, uh, Noel and I definitely agree that God plays a role in that, you know, just opening those doors and, and, and making that happen. It's so cool to hear how that's happened for your family where you get, you know, you, you keep progressing. And I really hope that someday you're going to end up on announcing for the Chiefs. Now, I – I, unfortunately, am a Chicago Bears fan. I wish I was a Chiefs fan. I used to say I wish I was a uh, Patriots fan. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that era is kind of done now. And my wife, she uh, grew up in New England, so she she really is a Patriots fan, and she, she's allowed to be. But, but uh, no, that would be so cool. Is it still kind of like a dream of yours, like in the back of your mind, like you'd love to do that someday? You know, I, I'm not sure at this point. I just – the uh, flexibility that I have right now – being with my my family and my kids and being able to you know the small things mean a lot to me and just my uh attitude about that has really changed in recent time you know we have little ones and you know the the most important part for me every of every day is being able to drop them off at daycare yeah. and see them go to school and i don't know if i'd ever want to give something like that up obviously they're going to grow up right right so you know you never say never in this business so, so, so just might. to stay totally politically correct here with your current job and not close not burn any bridges with the, the chiefs down the road right what what brent's <laughs> saying is when he retires from brownfield ag after a long successful career he may be open to working as the chiefs uh, radio broadcaster <laughs> you know but they there's big shoes to fill there. Mitch Holstis, he's uh, probably the best radio broadcaster in the NFL, so I don't see him stepping away anytime soon. Um, you know, you mentioned being a Bears fan and thinking, you know, questioning that at times. <laughs> there there was a period pretty much throughout my entire childhood and teen years that I didn't know if I should be a Chiefs fan anymore. When you look back at – it, you know, it's it's easy to look now at the success the Chiefs have had yeah. and forget about the bad. Yep. You know, the Matt Castles era, uh, yep. Damon Heward, Brody Croyle, Tyler Palco <laughs> was the starting quarterback for a while. Be, having the number one pick in the draft every year kind of gets old after yeah. after a bit. Well, and the Chiefs always had – so I imagine we're probably pretty similar age. I, I remember the Chiefs having a stretch there where they were actually pretty good, the Trent Green years when they yeah. had – Priest Holmes and Larry Johnson, and they were famous for going like nearly undefeated, mm-hmm. and then losing in the first round of the playoffs. They'd have like they'd go in with like you know a like a, a fourteen and two record into the playoffs, and they're like, oh, here come the Chiefs, and then they go play. Uh, uh, who was it at the time? Probably Big Ben and uh, Troy Polamalu and Jerome Bettis and Heinz Ward. Yep, and it would it would. The wheels would come off. Yeah, I specifically remember uh, 2003, I say, is the year I first became a Chiefs fan. That was when Priest Holmes broke the rushing touchdown and total Mm. touchdown record in a season. And then they got bounced in the first round by the Colts and Peyton Manning. That's right. That was the famous no-punt game. Neither team punted the entire game. Wow. Chiefs had the 32nd-ranked defense. Not to go off on a sports (laughs) history here, right? No, it's fun. It's fun. It's fun to remember this. That was was my first taste of uh, playoff failure. Many years of misery to come after that. Yep, yep. But we're all good now. Everything's been made up for. (laughs) That's right, yeah. Because two Super Bowls in the pocket, that's something that I'll never – 
never have taken away. And it's the same as I'm wearing an Atlanta Braves shirt as we talk now because oh, I yeah, that... grew up as a big Braves fan as a kid because that was the only team on TV with TBS. But, uh, you know, living close to Kansas City, obviously big Royals family too. Sure. They won the World Series in 2015. They'll never take that. They might lose 100 games <laughs> now, but uh, we got that World Series in the, in That's the back right. pocket. That's right. And I believe Noel's a, a Braves fan as well, so – I still so, keep tabs on the Braves. Yep, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I actually was a Braves fan growing up as a kid, too, because we had family down in the Atlanta area, and I had this older cousin. You know how older cousins are. They're, oh, yeah. They walk on water pretty much in your <laughs> mind. You know what I mean? They they are, they are they are so cool, and my older cousin gave me an Atlanta Braves ball cap. And so for years, I would have said I was an Atlanta Braves fan, but then – I don't know, maybe when I was in, like, late high school, college. I always liked the Cubs, too, because my dad was a big Cubs fan. And, you know, I was just a Chicago sports fan. And so I just kind of started, you know, you'd hear them on the radio and stuff, and I'd start caring about them more. And, of course, during uh, the playoff year and then the World Series year, I really became a Cubs fan. Yeah. <laughs> you know how that goes. <laughs> Oh yeah, and now and now sure. I watch as much Cubs baseball as I did before that World Series, but uh, no, don't get me wrong. During that World Series, I watched every game. Yeah, <laughs> same here with the 2014-15 <laughs> Royals. I don't think I missed a right. single game. Right. Yep. So I definitely have some fair weather in my blood, but football is my favorite sport, and I just can't, I can't bring myself. You can't like you can't choose your team really. You know, what I mean, you just start liking one. Yep. And um, yeah, that's how that's unfortunately how I am with the Bears, but. Someday. Someday they're going to hey, be better. I they'll hope. turn it around. That's right. Hopefully they're, it doesn't take as long as the Cubs. But I'll just say this, and I'm sorry, but they did pass on Mahomes in the draft. I know it. For Mitch Trubisky, people. <laughs> oh, yes. Trade it up for him, right? Trade it up for him. Yep. 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 And uh, trade up to a team that wasn't even going to take him. And uh, But, hey, that's that's the way we do it in Chicago. We like it. We like it the hard way that doesn't work. That's all right. That's that's how we get things done. But uh, <laughs> but anyways, let's let's uh, let's kind of start transitioning yeah. back to hunting here. So uh, you're, I mean, are you a hunt them all kind of guy? Do you like uh, you know doing a little bit of everything, or are you kind of a specialist in whitetails or turkeys? How do you how do you kind of view hunting? Yeah, you know, I'd say whenever I was younger, it was anything I could get my hands on. Right, I would go pheasant hunting, quail hunting a lot, um, rabbit hunting, tur- deer, turkey. You know, now with work and you know the family life and balancing the time there. It's primarily just deer and turkey for me. Sure. There, there's still an itch every once in a while that I'd like to go pheasant hunting because that was something I did with my grandpa whenever I was younger. Sure. And still, still have a lot of those memories, so I'd like to try to get back into that again. Well, hey, we'll have to um, do some of that together this coming year. Yeah, right? that'd be cool. Yeah. I'd, I'd really enjoy that. It's something that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll never forget taking my first pheasant, right? Yep. And uh, seeing the dog, you know, oh, go yeah. on point and everything. That was just just a really cool experience and um but you know i haven't done that for probably over 10 or 15 years now sure is the last time so it's primarily deer and turkey for me okay yep. yeah yep no that's uh that's a pretty typical iowa answer i'd say you know most guys are 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 deer and turkeys uh but yeah pheasants is another good thing that you know it, it does take the nice thing about turkeys are you don't have to have a ton of gear like if you decoys was good definitely need to have a call 
but then from there you know shotgun and some camo you know yep whereas deer hunting gotta have tree stands um most people consider a cell or not a cell cam a trail camera as you know pretty much a staple anymore um you gotta have the scent free scent control stuff um or you at least have to worry about it which is a you know another thing on the list for how to how to you know get good deer hunting done you know but uh turkeys are pretty easy to get in and then pheasants you know that's kind of a cheap man's thing as long as you have a dog you know you get a blaze orange vest you don't even have to have anything remotely close to camouflage you as long as you got a dog and a shotgun you can get out but if you don't have the dog component you know like a good bird dog there's guys that do it but to me and I, I could probably tick some people off when I see this. I, I think it's almost borderline unethical to hunt pheasants without a dog because I can count on, like, I've shot quite a few pheasants through the years. I could probably count on one hand how many of them I found after the shot without a dog. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. I mean, if they die in, like, a, a harvested bean field, then, uh, yeah, you can see that pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Um Otherwise, they burrow down into that grass so deep, and they're so. In other words, you don't have a dog, you're kind of out of it. You know, you can't. You gotta know somebody that's got one, and then you're at their mercy for when you get to go and stuff like that. So it's we have pretty good pheasant hunting, not like what it once was here in Iowa, um, but but pretty decent. And uh, if you know you got you got the dog, and the place to go, you can you can have a pretty good time. But no, that's cool to hear that you like hunting them all, even the small game. I like the rabbit side. Yeah, that was always fun to me. And you know, going back to being able to locate the the game after you take them, right? Um, and I don't know what the quail populations are like now, but I, I feel like when I was younger, there was a pretty good quail population in northwest Missouri, which mm-hmm. is where I grew up. But you know, even with the dog, it could be challenging finding oh, those yeah. quail, especially if you're in a nice CRP. You know, they blend in pretty good and they're small yeah and they're small Um, yep so it you know you'd be looking around for a long time with the dog also kind of searching and it was it was difficult yep yeah the only quail i've ever i've ever gotten was here in iowa and um the way it worked was it was there's probably about 10 minutes left in legal shooting hour time uh, because it closes at 4 30 p.m in iowa for pheasants and quail so I shot this quail. I could tell I winged it at like 4:20, and um, it. By the time I got to where it went down, you know, it was, I had to cross creek. It was, you know, it was. It, I, I looked around, of course, tried flushing it up to get another shot before 4:30, and it just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So now I can't shoot because it's after my dogs found that bird for me, and. Uh, uh, had I not had them, there was no way I was ever going to get that, that bird, you know? And of course it was like in a way farther off spot than I thought it, you know, where I was looking. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so the dogs really saved me there and, and kept that bird from, you know, just going to the coyotes. So it was, it was a, uh, no chance at recovery if, uh, it wasn't for them. So, but yeah, hopefully we get some more quail here. It's a habitat thing. We got to have the habitat and, uh, um, it's not just as simple as having, you know, like I, th- these things would help. They'd help pheasants more, having more unmowed waterways, having more 
uh, just CRP acres in general, but you got to have the right kind of CRP and you need to have a short grass mix that's getting fire prescribed burns, um, you know, every three years at least. And, and that'll help us see those quail numbers come back. So, um, I hope in our lifetime that does happen because I would love to, I, you know, I've, I've only been hunting since 2015, so I've never seen it when there's tons of quail on the landscape, Yeah. but it could happen again. You know, that wasn't that long ago when, when things were, it would also be good to see some more hedgerows go back in. I know that really helped the numbers. Um, you could go back on this podcast and a couple years ago interviewed, uh, Todd Bogenschutz, the state upland biologist, and he, um, talks about how hedgerows affected quail populations um, all across Iowa and, and really the Midwest. So so uh, quail are an interesting story, but it's cool to hear that you hunted all these things. I think it being a, a well-rounded, I mean, there's something to say for being a specialist. Like, you know, we all know those guys who are just hardcore whitetail guys. Yeah. They couldn't care less about anything else. In fact, during a uh, morel season, turkey season, uh, even shed season sometimes, those guys will be watching TV. But come, you know, August, September, October, those gearing up for deer season time, man, they are dialed and they're going in there and they're going to fill all their tags, you know? Yeah. And, this, and there's, you know, but I like that about hunting. You know, there's there's room for however you are. And there's some guys, turkeys are their thing, you know? I was just talking to a friend of mine that I invited to go turkey hunting with me this last Saturday. And, um, uh, he is, that's his thing. He loves hunting turkeys. He was actually headed to Kansas city. So he, (laughs) he, uh, he couldn't go with me, but, but, um, you know, it's, it's cool to see how there's a little bit of diversity here in Iowa for what people like to chase. You know, I don't think a lot of the Midwest has that, you know, it's kind of either waterfowl turkeys or deer, but having that little upland side of it, and, uh, I mean, if you go up into Wisconsin or, or uh, Minnesota or Michigan where there's a lot more timber than people, I think, are into squirrel hunting a little bit more. <laughs> but uh, where, you know, like go to Indiana, go to, go to Illinois. Yeah, pheasants are there, but not like what we have here in Iowa. So, and same with quail. So it's, it's pretty special that we get that little upland piece of the puzzle too here. So, you know, waterfowl, that's one that I've never been introduced to. Yep. And have never had an experience with it. I'm very, I'd be, you know, I'd be very much open to trying a waterfowl hunt. Yeah. Yeah, Obviously, I would need to be with someone that knows what they're doing. Right. 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 Because I couldn't even tell you where to go or where to set up or, you know, what is the the go to, you know, strategy for something like that. Yep. Um, Yep. But, you know, any any type of hunting would interest me. I, I just think it that would be a cool experience. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. I'm the same way. I've never actually waterfowl hunted. Um, uh, where we got our turkeys, I noticed there were a lot of blue wing teal hanging out uh, this uh, <laughs> past weekend, and um, uh, I might try going back there in September and and uh, uh, you know basically just you know flushing them by walking in probably but but uh, i'd love to i'd love to try some of it but at the same time it's just to me if there's an expensive like barrier to entry waterfowl probably has it you know you the the decoys the waiters you know the uh the 
amount of ammunition you got to have for that. Um, uh, the the blinds and, and so forth. The boats, you got to have a dog for that too, really. Even probably more so than pheasant hunting, you know, to be able to retrieve those birds. Let's get a kayak or something, which then you got to have a kayak. Sorry, everyone. My daughter is running uh, rampant right now. So uh, <laughs> you might be hearing her in the background. My wife is also frying up the morels. So you may have heard me eating a morel. Go yeah. ahead, Brent. If you want it, you got, you know, you got you those morels. I'm going to take one. I'm going to yeah, pass you, them you take one. To you. I'm, I'm busy uh, monologuing right now. But, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, no, the, I'd love to. I'd love to get into it too, but it's just like so expensive. So I'd kind of like to hunt it the cheap way. Maybe just go a time or two. Kind of like what I do with doves. Yeah. You know, I usually hunt doves maybe one, two, maybe three times uh, a season. But um, you know, just kind of do it the cheap way, I guess, and and play around with it a little bit. But uh, no, it's it's cool that I'm I'm here with a fellow hunt them all kind of guy, and uh, I think you get to appreciate where it is that you hunt so much more when you when you do have that attitude of like hey how can i how can i hunt everything you know that's that's um that's a way to really get to know the woods and get to know you know the changing seasons and and who's here at what time you know yeah um you know, that's just a really good point because i was gonna say not to interrupt you i'm no, sorry no go for it go for it um i feel like i learn a lot about myself as a deer hunter during turkey season mm-hmm. and i realize that i don't get out of my comfort zone during deer season i need to be better about taking an opportunity to try to you know um go after a new spot and just work in there and see what's there you know whenever i'm turkey hunting and i'm trying to get to a group of birds and they're far off i'm cutting through areas yep and you know along those walks I'm looking around and seeing sign I didn't know existed. Yep. And I start learning about terrain. And I can remember uh, back whenever I was at home in Missouri, the ground that my my family's always had a lease on this farm. And being in a, a portion of the timber that I hadn't been to before and um, middle of the morning trying to get my way back in there along a ridge and work, bumping myself into a nice buck. And when mm-hmm. I say nice buck... This, I mean, the bases were already fully out, right? So we're oh, talking man. early May, probably, you know, obviously they don't have a full rack or right, anything, yep, yep. but big old bases, probably about three or four inches high already. Wow. And a really big bodied animal. And it just clicked all at once. Man, he's just walking right along the side of this mm-hmm. ridge right here. And, you know, ended up, uh, we put a stand in that area not too not too long after that, probably like the following season. And that's that's become like the old faithful stand where like that's most awesome. of the family's getting their big bucks is just right along that ridge and I think it just connects from one bedding area to the next. It's just kind of a you know, a, a travel corridor sure. for them. Yeah, that's but awesome. That's just one small example of kinda learning about myself and realizing I I'm hesitant to try to go into a spot that I think there might be deer because sure. I'm just so worried about blowing them out of there. But yeah. in reality, I don't think it really disturbs it as much as right. it probably as we probably think it does, especially during like the spring or the winter, mm-hmm. um, the off season. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on? on yeah, that? I, yeah, I, I I definitely agree with you. Sorry, my kids are watching Bluey in the other room. If you uh, just heard that out, <laughs> that's a regular in our uh, yeah, house that's too. Right. <laughs> but um. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you, Brent. Uh, 
I think when you go out and you experience these other things, you just get to know the place so much better. And um, actually, as everyone who's been listening to this podcast for a long time, and as Brent knows because I showed off some of my favorite sheds to him, uh, shed hunting is where I learned so much about a place where to hunt. And um, actually, this place where uh, um, I just took a turkey this year, and we'll tell the story here in a little bit. Um, I knew that it had turkeys in it from a couple of reasons. Um, one, I see them all the time when I, uh, drive by this piece of public land. Uh, I could see turkeys out in the surrounding fields and stuff. And it's like, okay, there's definitely turkeys in there. But then the other way was, um, shed hunting in there. I would find tracks all, you know, quite a few of them. And I, you know, I always thought, you know, if I ever, I've always been a little leery with turkey hunting on public land, because if you're going to get shot while uh, hunting and you're not, you know, an idiot, <laughs> yeah. you know, doing something that you deserve to get shot while you're hunting, we'll say, you know, uh, the, your, your highest chances of that are going to happen during turkey season because there's no blaze orange, um, you're, you're using calls and decoys, you're trying to imitate the, the presence of a turkey. And, uh, in fact, uh, when I was turkey hunting this week, I had to make sure that uh, when the turkey, when I took my shot, he had made it to a certain point because I heard, heard this weird yelping. I had no idea if anybody else was there. I was the only truck there. But there's another entrance um, somewhere else on the, the piece that, or, you know, even somebody could have walked in from, from a different direction or something. It was kind of a, it sounded like a, a bad mouth call. This is what it sounded like, like a, like this weird yelp. And, and, uh, I had to make sure, you know, okay, I kind of heard that over there. I'm going to make sure this turkey is over here. So that way, if I get a shot, I don't, I'm not sending pellets at possibly another person, you know? Mm. And so even when I found those tracks, I wasn't sure if I'd ever hunt there, but I did find those tracks and having that historical knowledge from shed hunting, um, made me comfortable to hunt there plus i'd also been on there um getting ready for uh my uh, montana bear hunt last year right about a year ago my good friend uh john rasty who went on that bear hunt with me and alex um rasty and i we would go and put on our packs uh and uh get practice backpacking you know, to go out to the mountains and have to hike around with giant packs on our backs. We went to this piece of public and, uh, you know, I just was like, man, this is, this is a nice big, you know, spot where you kind of place where you'd want to hunt a, a turkey and then go to, oh, five episodes ago or so when I had Heath Rayfield, another friend of Knowles on the podcast, literally the best turkey hunting advice I've ever heard. Literally. Heath got me a turkey <laughs> and he almost got me one the week before. It's just, it was a hen that came into my decoys instead of a Jake or a Tom. And, and he had said, you, you can only call a turkey uphill. And I'd never heard that before. And I knew this area fit the bill. So I went there and because of all that past experience, I was able to piece together. Well, I'll tell, I'll fill in the gaps on that story here in a little bit. And so, yeah, I totally agree with you that just time spent there doing other things because, I mean, let's be honest, when you're deer hunting, you're trying to get from point A to point B, A, as 
undetected as possible. And then a very close second or, you know, B, you're trying to get there as quickly as possible because you want right. to get in your stand. You don't want to be sweating. You don't want to, I mean, usually you're, you're, you're hauling enough gear that it's not a lot of fun hauling it all that way. And, um, so you're not really learning to land near as much. And then once you get to your stand, you're just glued there for probably the rest of the time that you're going to be hunting. Unless you have to follow like a long blood trail or something, you're not really going to get to know that place. And so I 100% agree with you. Had I not had those previous thing, those previous experiences there, I, there's very unlikely that I would have gotten a turkey. So I 100% agree with, with uh, your observation there. So, you know, to anyone listening in, there's a big tip for you. If you want, if you want to have that success, you got to spend more time there than just when you're hunting there and more than just when you're scouting, like scouting is a huge part of it, but try and go there in a totally different context. Like Brent's talking about, I think. Um, and then once you say Brent, like there's a confidence side to it too. Oh yeah, I think so. Cause then I feel like when you do hear one gobble at you off in the distance mm-hmm. in your mind, you can almost pinpoint what ridge they're on. Yep. And then I feel like you're, you automatically are game planning. You're stewing, right? Like, mm-hmm. Oh, well, I can use this terrain feature here and hide myself and swoop in from this side. Yep. Just little things like that. Um, and it just really goes a long way, especially turkey hunting. Cause you, you've said, it, you know, a few times, you know, they, their their vision is unbelievable mm-hmm. and they can detect the slightest movement yep. and when you've got maybe a, a property that's not as thick something that maybe you and i had to <laughs> navigate a little bit because of a few things but um it can be challenging so you've got to really watch your cover um and i did want to circle back you brought up a really good point about the safety aspect because I feel like I'm almost paranoid at times about safe, you know, if there's someone else on the property and you know, if there is cool, they have every right to be right. Yeah. It's public. Yeah. And I, I love that, but it's yeah. also that unknown feeling. Cause you said there was no other vehicle there, but mm-hmm. you maybe came across somebody same, similar situation for me. Um, not this, not this season, but last Turkey season, um, I was hunting with my bow, which, was probably not the best decision because I didn't end up getting anything. It was really difficult, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> hey, um, it's, it's good to put yourself though, too. I was trying to run and gun with my bow and, um, uh, was trying to work into a, go- a a Tom that had been gobbling quite a bit throughout the mid morning. And I was hearing a call kind of off in the distance mm, to the right a little bit, maybe a mm-hmm. hundred yards or so. And that call kept getting closer to me. And I was moving closer to it. And I, for for real, thought it was a hen. It was a really good call, and everything was timing up about right. And um, pretty soon, after about forty five, fifty minutes, I see through the brush, through imagine from the waist down, I could see the legs of somebody walking close, and they were already oh. within twenty yards of me. And they were looking, you know, for. I'm sure they were moving to swoop in on the bird that I was yeah. making a move on. Because yeah. at this point, the gobbler is only probably 70 yards away. Uh-huh. I couldn't see him at that point. Um, but thankfully, I saw him, and I didn't move. I just said, hey, Hunter, over here. 
And he yeah. stopped and he looked around and at that point I made myself visible because I didn't want to move and start yeah, right? right and then get shot. So just yeah. my gut reaction was to say, "Hey, hey, Hunter, Hunter here," you know, just loud enough he could hear yeah, it. That's a good call. So we ended up meeting. You know, we walked up to each other and talked a little bit. And he had been there longer throughout the day and had been working that bird for a while. So I actually left. Um, I said, "Yeah, it's." I haven't been here very long, you know, just made some calls off the road and heard one back in here on public and mm-hmm. went for it. So, you know, every, it was a nice exchange, nothing bad or anything, but just goes to show you that someone could be within, you know, really close proximity to you without you realizing it. Yeah, yeah, and this might be another good thing to talk about, a good point here is I know people really like doing the, and this, I think this has actually been made illegal in a few states, at least on public land. Uh, reaping turkeys you don't see it as much anymore but it was a big deal on like youtube hunting channels and stuff i don't know within the last five years where guys would get get these uh handheld uh kind of two-dimensional decoys i mean technically they're three-dimensional you know they would pop out a little bit but they weren't you know like a full-bodied decoy it's just kind of the front the fan and the the face on it and and uh, they would creep around, along on the ground on basically their knees and their elbows and kind of hold their shotgun over the back of the fan of their decoy and basically go right up to a tom and then blast him, you mm-hmm. know. Well, people are getting shot doing that, you know, because now you got this moving decoy. And, you know, if you just see that through some of the foliage around you or something like yep. that, you, you know, you think, well, there's one there, you know. And uh, so... Obviously, to me, if you're going to do that on on public land, you are taking your life in your hands. <laughs> it's just not worth it to get a, 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 especially a turkey. You know, like turkeys are great and all, but but a big turkey might get you what, like twenty pounds of meat. You know, yeah. and and uh, that's that's not worth it for your life. Um, but but uh, uh, the another thing that made me. So at first, when I thought, okay, because it's the same deal. I Right when I got in, I heard this gobbling, and then a horrible thunderstorm rolled in. I'll talk more about that. But that was why he's gobbling. He's gobbling at all the thunder and everything, this shot gobbling. And uh, when I heard that real, like, weird-sounding yelp in response, it sounded like that happened. And then when the birds walked out, I heard, like, almost a more desperate yelping Mm-hmm. Like, hey, don't go there. I'm over here. You know, come over, come to me. Like, it's almost like somebody was watching this unfold and they were seeing the birds moving towards me instead of them. And so that's what really made me think, like, there might be, there might be somebody there. But I was sitting downhill from my decoys. Like, they were, so I was going to be in between the birds and the decoys. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a good way, not like, you know, they're directly behind me or something, you know, I'm off to the side and I, you know, after, and I didn't really intend to do it that way, but I just saw some better cover over there for hunting and getting out of the rain and stuff. And so I kind of made that move and knowing then that my decoys are over there, I felt like if there is somebody across the way there they're going to see those decoys. And if they're going to shoot at something, they're probably going to shoot at those decoys and not at me for being over here running my box call. You know what I mean? Right. It just made me feel a little bit safer. So afterwards, like, you know what? That might be a good tip for people to, you know, kind of put your decoys in a way so that 
that you're going to be, especially if you know where that bird's coming from, which I, I, I pretty much did because of the gobbling <clears throat> when I'd first gotten there. It, it helped me be in a safer location, I think. So, but yeah, it's a scary thing to, to consider. You know, you see videos of guys, they're just doing like a crow call because they're trying to get a shot gobble or something. And then all the next thing you know, there's lead flying their way. You know, it's, yeah. And, and it's not at the same time, like it's not a freak thing either. In that case, like the crow call, someone's an idiot. You know what I mean? And it's not the guy getting shot. It's the it's the guy who's pulling off a shot at something that he does not know what that target is. Right. He might think he does, but he doesn't for sure know. And and to me, if you don't even for sure know whether it's a hen or a Jake or a Tom, you shouldn't be shooting. You know? Even if you're pretty sure you shouldn't be shooting. You gotta know for sure this is what my target is. And and uh you know, I know we get excited deer season we get buck fever that adrenaline can really mess with your mind a little right. bit you just got to remind yourself it isn't worth it you know and 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 uh you know same thing with with pheasant hunting you know you can have some close calls with that you know everyone gets desperate when that bird gets up in the air just gotta try to reel yourself in you know you know and i feel like since i've had kids I'm just way more aware of that stuff now. Yeah. Not that I wasn't before. Um, just come more safe to conscience. Yes, and I think that's part of the reason. And not knocking anybody here, if anyone wants to hunt in the woods, you know, that's awesome to me. More yeah. hunters, the better. But that's part of the reason I um, will not gun hunt in Iowa, especially on public land. I'm just yeah. so worried about... Um, you know, a, a group of party hunting sure. coming through and not knowing that there's somebody there and, you know, maybe they take a shot at a deer or something and I'm off in the distance another, yep. you know, 80 yards. And it's just, I don't know, maybe I'm a little too paranoid, no, but I, 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 I do not, I don't gun hunt. Well, there's been, there's been two fatalities in our area on public land during guns, gun season for deer in the past, I think three years. I think there's yep. been two fate two fatalities. Um, party hunting. Well, I think one guy was he might have been sitting in a tree stand even, or mm. I think he was hunting by himself. Another guy was party hunting and they were doing a big drive and he he got shot and killed. But you know, it's I, I think it's a valid concern for sure. You know, and uh, you know someone might be listening like, oh, you're so lucky you got private ground to hunt on i have to hunt public ground um i don't you know this is gonna ruffle some feathers i don't think anybody has to hunt public ground i think that um if you take the time to go and knock on enough doors you're gonna find a piece that you can someone's gonna let you on that's just been my experience but even let's say no you, you don't know i've asked 50 people and been told no, 50 times I have to hunt public ground. Well, then, yeah, I mean, sorry, you got to do what you got to do. Or maybe you got to, you know, <laughs> go to another county or something. I don't know. But uh, uh, I, I I don't think there's anything wrong with maybe limiting yourself in that way just for safety's sake during that time of year. And if not, you know, maybe look at hunting the muzzleloader seasons instead, too. That's another thing you can do. I've, I've definitely hunted public land during the early muzzleloader season here in Iowa. And I feel very safe then, knowing that pretty much everyone else in the woods is a bow hunter. Mm -hmm. um, 
in other words, the target's going to have to be very close, and they're going to see my blaze orange. And even muzzleloader hunters, for the most part, you don't have guys hunting more than 100 yards. You know, they're going to, they're probably going to see the blaze orange too. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, I think it's a valid concern. But while we're on it, we're talking public land. <clears throat> you got a public land turkey, man. And if I remember your YouTube video correctly, it was your first public land turkey, right? Yep. A long time coming. Finally got one on public land. All my other ones have been in private on private in the past. Sure. And when I say private, you know, we don't own any, any land, my family, but, um, you know, where my family is from in Missouri, mm-hmm. uh, you know, pretty much since I was a little kid, the family, we, we've leased, uh, some farm ground and had a good relationship with, um, some, some owners there. And, I think we had the same 250-acre property leased pretty much my entire childhood up until I was about 16 or 17. Um, and I, I feel like I knew that place every every inch of it, right? Yep, and, yep. You know, the the landowner passed away, and, um, you know, the land went up for sale and didn't get to hunt there anymore, which is, which is totally cool. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we transitioned from there to a 40-acre lease of a, a family that we knew really well and um that is still going on today so uh, oh, i nice. say we i don't get back down there very in, anymore sure um i moved to iowa in 2015 but my family down there still still hunts that ground and sure you know for a 40 acre property my my brother last year shot a 162 inch wow. 10 point during the november firearm season so wow that's um, awesome yeah yeah it was it's pretty cool the the night before opening day he was texting me and said look at this trail cam picture of this buck that showed up i think maybe it was a week or two prior and then the next morning that was the deer he took out of the stand <laughs> and it was just kind of crazy to think wow that's that's literally the buck you texted me about yesterday yep um but you know i i do miss hunting back there just being with family and miss hunting with my brother a lot we had some really good experiences there and you know, we we try to get back um, as much as we can. Mm-hmm. I know out-of-state tags are a little costly. Maybe one of these days we can pony up the money for that, right? Yeah, there maybe you go. work out a hunt or something. But, yeah, um, you know, I'd say for me now, hunting in Iowa, probably just strictly public. Um, you mentioned something about... Um, not to get off the turkey story, I'll, I'll circle back to no, it. No, 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 yeah, yeah. But uh, you, you mentioned about folks knocking on doors. <clears throat> I don't have any experience with that. Uh, but just from some people I've talked to, even landowners themselves that have told me, you know, they would be open to letting someone hunt on their property if, one, don't show up in your camo yep. and knock on the door, yep, right? Yep. That's probably needs to be said. Yeah. But if the person was maybe willing to do some work for them on their, yep. on their farm, just kind of in, in exchange. But, but yes, first, uh, first public land Turkey kind of got off the, the beaten trail there, but, um, man, it was, it was a quick hunt too. It was the fastest hunt that I've ever had. So I have two stories similar to this. The one that I got this year, um, I, I was only hunting maybe, 15 minutes, mm-hmm. 15, 30 minutes, give or take, right around that. Shot him right after sunrise, right? And, That's um, awesome. Yeah, it was just kind of lucky, to be honest. I was walking back into the, the property and kind of slowly going about the access path and calling here and there. It was a really 
really cold morning. And so you were calling on your way in. Yes. Now, are you a guy yeah. who like does a does something to try and get a shot gobble the second you shut your car door, or you know the it depends on the scenario where this is. I feel like I can't do that, mm-hmm. and it's just the way that the property sets up yep. that I don't think I could get like an owl locator call loud enough and far enough for them to hear it. Yeah. And likewise, I don't know if I could hear them gobbling from where it's at. It's just yeah. the way the hill and the ridge goes. I just don't, I've never tried it. I just think it's too far. Yep. So I walk all the way up in and then I start throwing out some, um, some hen calls yep. just pretty lightly, not loud right off the bat, just in case something's close by. Yeah. Um, so I just slowly kind of still hunted my way in and I stayed on the access path. I had a spot on the map that I was, uh, planning on going to and it's where uh last year i told you i I went with an archery only tag i set up in a spot last year with my bow and called a gobbler into 40 yards and he saw my strutter decoy and turned around and took off really yep not not a sprint but just uh i'm getting out of here like he he didn't want to get into a fight yeah i think it was probably a two and a half year old gobbler right and was not in the mood for a fight and i so i switched that up this year didn't take the strutting decoy i uh in the off season bought a a jake decoy from cabela's it was Mm -hmm. like a jake hen combo i didn't take the hen so i just took the jake decoy with me this time and it was um, a really cold morning. At the beginning of the show here, you mentioned that we had like four or five days, a whole week of 70, <laughs> 75, Yeah, it was 80, summer. It was summer, really. Just enough for, you know, the, the greenery to try to take off early. And yep. farmers were really starting to do some early planted soybeans because the conditions were getting perfect. But then it turned, bam, cold. Yep. And a lot of farmers had to replant. Um so this week, this day that I went, it, I think it was 33 degrees in the morning. Nice wintry mix going on, getting pelted in the face with some ice <laughs> at times. And uh, gosh, it was wet too. It rained a lot the night before. So I wore my big boots, my muck boots, and mm-hmm. those were getting um, pretty heavy. Everything was really sticking to oh, them, yeah. right? So I think I got about, I want to say about a half mile back in. Sure just strictly along the access path. I hadn't ventured off yet and it was really hard to hear cause it was super windy that day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I let out a few calls. I finally got to a point where I was like, okay, I, I've walked far enough. I need to, before I make my next move around this corner where I'll probably, probably be visible. Mm-hmm. I need to let out. I just want to let out some calls, see what's going on because you know, I know a lot of people like to go in the pitch dark. Mm-hmm. Me personally, I don't, I like to walk in at gray light. I like to see where I'm going. Yeah. And that's just a personal preference. And I've had more success that way. Yep. But to each their own, like I've said earlier, um, I know a lot of people go in the pitch dark and go set up and have success too. Uh, I think it just all depends on your movement and how you utilize the cover. But uh, so it was well into, well into shooting light now by about 10 or 15 minutes, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And I let out a call and really close by. I hear one just barrel a gobble out. <laughs> and when I say close, I'm probably at 40 yards already, 40 yeah. to 50 yards. But he was off over a, 
a ledge of the access path down inside the timber. And so I immediately just, well, probably the worst thing, right? I immediately ducked down. Don't know why. I'm standing right out in the open on the access path. So that quick movement's probably not the smartest thing. Mm-hmm. But um, so I just turned real quick, and I had that Jake decoy, um, stuck it just right where I was standing, and I turned around and looked for some cover, and the tree line butted up against the path, and I found it where it went up back up against a kind of an embankment, I guess, and there okay, was an old yeah. tree kind of hanging over it, and I thought, well, there's a little hole right there. I'm going to go set up there. I was probably 15 yards from the decoy. Sure. I know less. Got sat down. <laughs> I I had a GoPro on. Uh, we've talked about yep. that off the air, so there's some footage of it. I'm yeah. I'm not the most in shape person in the world, anyway. So I'm already huffing and puffing from that. <laughs> let alone here comes the adrenaline, right? Yep. And I know no no more. Sat down. I I remember it's weird thinking back in slow motion the little things that go off in your mind thinking. Sure. Well, this slope of this bank is too much of a downward angle. I can't rest the gun on my knee. Yeah. So I quickly just looked around, and there was an old little log that was broke next to me, probably about that big around, I don't know, four or five inches uh, straight across. And it was about the perfect perfect size. I had to set it up and rest my gun on top of it. And as soon as I did that, I let out one little sequence and he immediately fired right back <laughs> and at that point i'm like oh he's right here yeah and i know less no more looked up and here he was coming in uh at the very beginning when i saw him he was in a half strut he let down when he saw the decoy and then he poofed up really big then he came on a fast walk coming to my left towards the decoy came to a full strut again and turned to where he was facing straight at me and uh I let out just a little bit of a a call silently so he'd lift his head and let the trigger go. That was it. Folded him right over. And I'll say that was, I'd say it was probably an 18-yard shot, 17, 18-yard shot. It looks farther on the video, but I think it's because. Yeah, isn't that crazy how on video those shots look like like a mile away? Yeah. Especially when somebody's bow hunting. Yeah. You You almost can't even see the the animal. Yeah, it's like behind him a little bit, the camera. It's like, how are they going to hit that shot? Yeah. And then you find out, yep, I had him at 18 yards. Like, what? So, looks yeah. like he's like 50 <laughs> yards, you know? You're right. That's what, that's what it looks like here, too. If you watch it, it looks really far away. But he was, he was I've, probably about 17, 18 yards. Yeah. And, uh, you know, usually the birds kick around quite a bit, and you run up and grab them. I mean, he was deader than a doornail, right? <laughs> folded right over i think he flopped once or twice and that was it i must wow. have just directly hit him in the head whenever i um dressed him out at home i found one pellet in the breast okay and he That's was pretty good he was facing straight at me when i shot so i must have hit him just square in the head on that that's awesome yeah so you're in a similar situation to me you got people at home you know uh, you got a wife you got some kids a uh, kid on the way too which yeah, is, that's uh, right. Exciting. No, you can very, say it. It's very, <laughs> very soon, very soon. And, uh, um, but, you know, there's that whole excitement of getting home and sharing that, which is awesome. But there's also like this great time limiter for getting to go out and do what you did. 
So is this your first day getting out for that season, or had you already been out a few times trying to fill your tag already at this point? This was my second sit. Second sit, okay. Yep. I went the first day that season two opened. Um, I think it was maybe the 14th of April. Okay, yep. I went that morning, and uh, I went to a different property, not the one that I got this bird at first light. Mm-hmm. And, you know, honestly, I probably stayed there longer than I, I needed to. I didn't hear any gobbling off the roost or anything. But my past history with it told me there's a lot of birds that live in this. Mm-hmm. I hung around there for a couple hours and um, never heard anything, never saw anything. Sure. Finally, worked my way out of there and just said, you know, I just need to leave. I get too dedicated to a spot. That's my problem. Yep. I think yep. I kind of mentioned that with deer hunting, too. I decided that, you know, I needed to leave that property. And uh, so about 8.30, 9 o'clock, I got my car and ended up at the property. I got my bird on two days later, right? (laughs) And so it's a very similar story, working my way in. So at this point, you know, you're talking 8.45, 9 o'clock or so, give or take. Sun's well out, right? I get up to the top of the hill right about where the the property starts and I'm just listening for a bit. I haven't made any calls at this point. So I'm just listening for about five minutes. Don't hear anything naturally. Nothing sparks a gobble sure, or sure. anything. So I slowly just start walking my way in. Similar, the same access path as I shot my bird two days later. And I get maybe 200 yards from the pickup. And I let out a call and I hear one gobble within 60 yards. And I'm so I'm getting lucky twice here, right? Like, how does this happen? (laughs) It's really close to the road, and um, so I similar thing. I just immediately like sit down, put the decoy in the access path. It's just funny how this happened two days later, and I end up getting one. And I set up on the backside of a dam of a little waterway, and uh, pretty soon here I see the tail fan coming through the timber down a kind of an open path that's now there. And he stopped at about 70 yards. And I could see him playing his days out in the open, full strut, and he was by himself. He sees my decoy because it's just right in front of him. Mm-hmm. I say right in front of him. Obviously, we're not in range or anything, but it's right. very visible. And he just kept strutting. I would call every now and again. Like, I would turn and face behind me and direct a call off the opposite direction. And he would gobble, but just hung around pretty soon Mm. within about uh 35 or 40 yards just on the other side of this little water uh waterway i'm talking about i saw a hen getting a drink and walking back to him and so it was just one hen and one tom he stood there for about 45 or 50 minutes and uh, eventually i saw him work off back up into the into the hillside Mm -hmm. so at that point i got up and i uh I ran over, grabbed my decoy, and went to where they were standing on where he was strutting. Mm-hmm. And they, I made a call, and they had moved on even further up into the timber. I could hear him gobbling and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I worked that bird for three hours. Wow. Yeah. like, And I lost track of time for a bit. I eventually got my phone out at one point and realized, oh, my gosh, like it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And yeah. I'm still hearing him gobble. I got close enough at one point, uh, Kent, that I could hear him drumming. 
Like not the like I could hear him spitting, but yeah. I could and I've never heard drumming before. Uh-huh. I've heard it in my headphones watching videos on sure, YouTube, yeah, right? Yeah. So I get a sense of what that low yeah, yeah. bass volume is. Um I was close enough I could hear him drumming. And so I don't know if I was within twenty yards at that point, but where they ended up working up into this ridge, it was so thick I could not even see through there. Mm. And I just kept crawling. At this point, I was on my hands and knees, and I'd scoot a little bit closer and let out a call, and he'd go, I mean, they're, I'm right on top of him. Yeah. I'd probably say within 20, 20 yards. Wow. I could not see him at all. Wow. And uh, eventually, after three, it was it was 2 o'clock when I looked at my phone, and I hadn't heard anything at that point for about 20 minutes because he, he was fired up. He was gobbling the whole time. There were times I would sit there, not say anything back to him, mm-hmm. and he would just let him loose. Yeah. So he was fired yeah, up. Yeah, so you were being smart and strategic with your calling. And yeah. I, I think was, it's awesome that you had that whole, like, that's that's an adventure, man, crawling through the woods like that. and Yeah, it really was. And it, I, I don't want people to think I'm just sitting there for three hours calling at this bird. Yeah, right. I bet there was a 90-minute gap there that I didn't do anything. And he was just letting them loose throughout the morning and, or you know, into the early afternoon. Eventually, I got to a point. I'm like, okay, I've I got to see if he's still here because mm-hmm. I didn't hear the drumming noise anymore. I didn't yeah. hear the spitting. And the next time I heard him gobble, they were pretty far away. So yeah. I think they probably just were just moving on. Yeah. Um. You know how they, you know, middle of the day, they just go about their business. And so instead of continuing to pursue him, uh, with time that's available, I went. I just called it a quits that day and yeah, went home. But then two days later, I had uh, the fastest hunt of my life, and yeah. I, I where I killed that tom was a couple hundred yards from where I was set up on this one that two That's days cool. prior. That's cool. I'll have to show you sometime yeah. because yeah, yeah. now that we know we've been at the same area. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And uh, yeah, it's it's a cool spot there for sure. But you know, that's that's earlier when we were talking about you hunt different seasons, you get value you know this priceless experience that pays off in some way that you can't even see down the road um another way that you get that experience is by going through what you went through there you know where you watch these animals be animals Mm -hmm. and not just watch them be targets you know what i mean when you when when you're just the where it happens most when you're in a tree stand and something's just out of range and you know that if uh, like, like I really want to get out of here and go try and make a move, but you just know it's not going to work. You know, they're going to see you. And so your only option is to pray <laughs> that they're going to come your way <laughs> or uh, uh, you can just sit there and watch and yeah. maybe get some video on your camera or, or phone or something like that. Uh, but that's that's valuable experience there i think seeing that seeing a wild animal be a wild animal helps you learn their habits uh like you're talking about here in the the drumming and and spitting I, i've never heard that in in person yeah it's just so um so interesting like i i've you know watched videos online of people hunting and they talk about oh you know he's he's close i hear him drumming yeah yeah and for the longest time i thought oh well he's just talking about when they you know how they spit when they go full yep. strut i thought that was drumming and once I like searched drumming turkey, 
And there are some videos out there where, you know, people have like a turkey farm. Yeah. They'll get up close and it even tells you it'll amplify and you'll hear it with headphones on. So I knew what it sounded like. It was really loud that morning. Hmm. And I could hear it plain as day. And it made me smile every time it happened. Just like, man, that's yeah, it. Yeah, I'm getting to hear this. Um, yeah. yeah. What a privilege. And you mentioned just being able to observe the wildlife. There are times in that three-hour span that, like, my hunter mode turned off. And I was getting a kick out of him. Right? Like, he, he would sh- strut his stuff around and poof up. And when that hen would come up, you think he's full strut. And he would try to expand even further and puff his <laughs> chest out. And I would, like, start laughing. Not like really loud, but yeah, just yeah. to myself, you know, yep. it's just humorous and yeah. And in, in the midst of all that, uh, when I was watching him from the very first position where I saw mm-hmm. him strutting for the longest time, I was on the backside of the trail, which is kind of serves as a dam, if that makes yeah. sense. Yep. So there's water right at my feet. And so I was just peeking up over the dam slash trail, looking across the other waterway. And uh, right behind me were, like, these three white geese. Oh, that's cool. And the whole time, they knew I was there. They were, like, swimming nearby, and they would not shut up. Like, they were, (laughs) like, hurting my ear. They were calling so loud. Yeah. Maybe that's part of the reason he kept gobbling the whole time. Yeah. Maybe they were setting him off. Yeah. But at one point, I remember I turned around, and I'm like, would you you do shut up? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) You're annoying me over here. It's like they were having. There was like uh, a little crowd of people behind you, like heckling you or something, yeah, like up right. on the hill on a baseball game. Yep. But yep. you know, I just thought I'd throw that in there. No, that's good. It's it's good to see the woods come alive like that. You know, and yeah. see see nature as as what it is, and and be a part of it. You know, in a, in a more immersive way, I guess you would say. Yeah. So, you know, just a. A sensory overload there with hearing the geese, hearing all that gobbling, spitting and drumming going on, and getting to see the hen, getting a drink of water. You know, I bet a lot of people don't even get to see that. You know, like get get to see a turkey go get a drink. You know, that's that's kind of a different thing too. You know, so uh, just a a really cool experience. And then of course, you know, later on, a couple of days later, lights out. You know, slam dunked one. And and uh, what I love about that story is how you earned it. And you even put in your post, I think you did this Facebook post, and you said, or maybe you talked about it in the video. I think that might be what it was. You talked about it in the video. You're like, hey, I read I read this article like a day or oh, two yeah. before I went. It was a good article, and it talked about how on these days when it's miserable conditions, those are the days to go hunt public land turkeys because you, you, you just probably have the woods to yourself. And I love it when people do that. When they, when they, despite the hardship, they gut it out, and uh, it just seems like it pays off a lot. You know, you hear about guys deer hunting in the wind, or in the rain; they love it. Um, I think uh, I'm starting to learn that if you got like a thunderstorm, that's great for turkey hunting. I heard that again on uh, uh, Ryan Callahan's podcast, uh, Cows Week in Review. I just heard that today. He talked about that. And it serves as a great transition to my turkey hunting story. Yeah. Because on the same piece of public, I walked in and I I, de- I have dedicated maybe three hours a year, probably less, to turkey hunting. That's just, I go really hard for whitetails. 
I hunt pheasants quite a bit. I hunt doves every year and I hunt sheds really hard. And anything after that's kind of just like, yeah, if I got a chance to sneak out, I'll go. And I do have a turkey tradition every year now with my dad and my son. And, uh, of course, the first gen hunter, my dad doesn't hunt. So he just goes and he's a passive observer, you know, just hops in the blind with me and Jonas and Jonas is going to be six here soon. And so you have a very young kid in a blind <laughs> and then a guy who doesn't hunt. And then, uh, as my wife likes to say, you basically have the three loudest people in the world in one, uh, one, in one Turkey blind, you're never going to get a Turkey, <laughs> but we almost got one last week. And, uh, that was, that was, uh, uh, again, thanks to Heath Rayfield, we called in two birds from about 500 yards away. And, uh, one may have been a Jake and he kind of came into like 70 yards ish, 75 yards. And he's like, eh. he just kept walking and we didn't spook him though. Cause he never like took off or anything. And then the hen, she came in and hung out with our decoys. She was loving it. And uh, she's kind of wondering why her new friends didn't talk back to her, I think. But, yeah. but uh, <laughs> the wind was blowing just enough to where it's like moving them around on their little like pivot points, you know. And so I think she's like, yeah, I think they're alive. And so she just kind of hung out for like 15 minutes. And then uh, uh, she's like, yeah, you know what? You guys are no fun. I'm, I'm out of here. So she then she kind of sauntered off slowly. But, you know, that, that right there was a win for me. I was like, man, that's the farthest I've ever gotten with turkey hunting. You know, that might be, that might be it for this year. And, uh, my wife has a new work schedule right now. Normally she's working on the weekends. So no hunting on the weekends unless I get a babysitter. Mm -hmm. And, um, right now she's doing orientation. So that's a little bit different. So she actually was off on the weekend and, um, We'd stayed up too late because we rarely get time together, and we watched a show we like to watch together, and and it was you know, I do like to get up and and uh, you know, beat the sun. Generally, when I'm hunting, I like to I like to be get out there in the dark. But I had heard earlier in the week on another podcast that um, <clears throat> uh, getting out there at at uh, you know, like 10 a.m. And this was actually on the Mediator podcast. I heard this. The get the guest they had on there, I think his name is Craig Harper. He's a turkey biologist. He said, I've learned through the years, I like to get out there like 9, 10 a.m. Well, I could never wait that long. You know, <laughs> I'm a morning person. So I was, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to like kill myself trying to get there before sunrise. I'll get there. I'll wake up at like 6 and, you know, get my gear on most of my stuff's already in my truck and uh you know i'll grab my shotgun and everything and i'll i'll head on over <laughs> and so that's what i did and i got there and it was still kind of gray out but you know it was after you know sunrise and it was a it was an overcast day and uh, i didn't realize it but a, like a, a serious thunderstorm was rolling in in fact that whole day ended up being serious thunderstorms we had tornado warnings tornadoes on the ground you know not far from there and um well, that wasn't until later in the day though but i get there and this area that i wanted to hunt is where i'd been backpack you know practicing with uh, uh my friend rasty as i mentioned earlier in the show and um, right away, as I'm walking into this this spot, 
I start hearing, you know, you know, you know, down the, you know, out <laughs> yeah. in the distance, and that's like oh, there we go. You know, but like I also see like this peal of lightning. You know, just you know, oh, yeah. big big crash of thunder, and then of course, you know, he's like yeah. shot goblin back at the the, the storm, and I'm like, thunder this chickens. is this. That's right, thunder chickens. This is money, baby. <laughs> and uh, so I'm like, I'm like walking out there, and and I'm like, all right, I got to get down to this little. Uh, you know, this little spot here, there's some cover. I don't think I'll get struck by lightning right there. You know, it's kind of like out of the way a little bit. And I get there and it starts raining mm-hmm. and it rain rains like instantly, like, you know, like it's just dumping rain. I bet it rained an inch, inch and a half in 15 minutes. Yeah. And uh, I had my rain gear, in my pack. So I'm like, I actually have my rain jacket on already. Um, I grab my, my rain pants out of there and I'm like trying to get them on. I'd already put my decoys in the ground. So I'm trying to like pick those back up yep. and my backpack's wide open now. So rain's falling in there. And, uh, uh, I'm like, Oh, this is not good. And, and I, from where I could hear that goblin going on, I'm like, okay, if he comes up or out of the timber where I think he's going to come out. And, uh, I had, so here's another, to your point, I'd been in there squirrel hunting uh, with one of my really good friends uh, back in September. And so we had walked like all the way back in there where I could hear this goblin come from. So I kind of knew the terrain back there. So I could kind of like, to your point, I could like picture, okay, this is where I think he probably is. This is where I think he's going to come out. And um, so I was like, this just isn't going to be it right here. I'm not going to be able to see him very well when he... And I'm trying to keep in mind, I need to be uphill, call him uphill like he talked about. But I just didn't think he'd be able to see my decoys very well, and I wouldn't be able to see him. So I used that torrential, I mean torrential downpour as my cover. Because, like, he's he's obviously having to hit cover right now, too, because it's just raining right. cats and dogs. And so he... um he shuts up. He cuts off. He's he's done goblin at this point because of the rain. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to move. I'm going to put my decoys here. I think you'll be able to see these better. And I'm going to find cover of some sort here. You know, I don't want to get too close to a big tree because it might get struck by lightning, fall on me or something. Because it's, I mean, it's lightning like right above me. And you don't talk about earning it. You were saying that <laughs> right. all I dealt with was a little sleet and 33 no, degrees. No, yours My was goodness. earned it, brother. Yours was earned it. You are probably colder than I was. Yeah. And uh, so I'm pulling on my rain pants, you know, while this is going on, getting my decoy stuck in the ground. And uh, I'm like, all right, this is a pretty good spot. Ah, that spot down there looks a little bit better. Yeah, but it's kind of a tall tree. It might get struck by lightning. Yeah, I think the I think the lightning's moving away. And you know, I'm just sitting there like like praying like crazy that I don't get struck. And um uh I I um go and like hunker down and I'm like in this un- kind of kind of like what you said when you just dropped to like a knee when that bird came in. You just like get into this uncomfortable like kneeling position. Yeah. And I'm like I got to do something better than this. Like I'm going to go stand up over there by this tree and wait out the storm. So that's what I did. I got over by this tall tree and I just kind of stood up. And I was like, "Okay. From what the very limited amount of knowledge that I have, I know that turkeys kind of go well with thunderstorms and rain actually i learned some of that from my wife because uh out in new england they got i'm about to drop a big uh bomb here on you new england turkey hunters oh, sorry i'm blowing your secret 
turkey heaven. There are so many gobblers in uh, New England. Really? And so she, oh, man, everywhere. It's not uncommon to see a flock of 20, you know, every day. Make some notes. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right. And and she lived out in the country on like kind of a little farmstead. And and uh, so she got to observe that. And, you know, she wasn't a hunter. And, and her dad didn't really hunt. I mean, he had done some hunting but not turkey hunting. But just from observing turkey, she's like, yeah, you know, we always would see them more on rainy days. And and I kind of noticed that from listening to podcasts and, and, and you know, watching it, hunting shows and stuff like that. So I bet you he starts going because he was gobbling a lot before it started that rain. And I was like, when it cuts off, I bet she's going to start off again. And that's what I'm going to call. I'm going to keep this call because I have a box call. So, you know, it's got like chalk on the top piece. Mm-hmm. And that's what creates the friction to on the box to to make the call. I was like, I can't get that wet or I'm done. I don't have a call, <laughs> you know. And and um, so I'm like just kind of biding my time, waiting for the rain. And as soon as it starts to let up, he's backed up. You know, like just gobbling his head off. Well, that's when I start to hear this nasty yelp, like... You know, I go, meh, meh, meh. And I'm like, oh. it's like, <laughs> is that is that real or that? I bet you that's another dude over there who's trying his mouth call for the first time. You I think know, all the uh, toms are saying that about that hen too. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, so it's like, so then I start thinking, oh, there might be another hunter here. So now this changes things a little bit. And one of the the looking back at it, we talked about this. It was smart from a safety standpoint to where I moved to where now I'm in between where the tom is and where my decoys are, but like twenty, twenty five, thirty yards back into the edge of the timber here. I kind of have them out in this clearing, the decoys, and so I'm in between them, but I'm off off the line that they this turkey would be walking in on to get to my decoys and like i said i think that made things a lot safer if there was some other hunter over there like i don't think he would he wasn't going to mistake me for my decoys or something like that you know or for a turkey and so um i felt good about where i was at but then i wasn't sure about pulling off a shot and not throwing lead at somebody else that i didn't know if they were there or not you know and so i um i like i said earlier i waited for those birds to get into a spot where i felt was going to be uh safer and so um you know i at this point now i'm calling and sure enough he's you know he's gobbling back at me like right away well, then it's a two-faced call. So I'm like, okay, I'll give him a little bit of that, and I'll try a little bit of this. You know, like, Sweet talk try- him a little bit. <laughs> That's right. There's two <laughs> hens over here, buddy. And uh, <laughs> meet my best friend. And uh, uh, it, he didn't like that. He didn't gobble back at that other one. So all right, so I got to stay on this other tone here. He likes that one better. And I kind of did what you did. You know, I was like, don't overcall. You know, just let him do most of the calling. And so I did that. I stopped yelping for a little while. And all of a sudden I noticed, you know, what was a loud gobble is now a really loud gobble. So, all right, he's coming. Yeah. He's interested. And uh, I thought 
some big old rope dragon tom was coming out of there with as loud as he was gobbling i mean it was it would i wouldn't say it hurt my ears but it got to the point where it was approaching that like whoa that's like, like it shakes you a yeah little bit. this is like a moving thing you know like whoa that was yeah. there's a gobble and then there's a gobble and then instead out popped three jakes and this lead jake is just gobbling for all he's worth <laughs> I mean, he's he's walking around like he is he is the dude, and and uh, I'm like, well, that's surprising, but I'll take a Jake, you know. And uh, so he's walking there with his two little toadies behind him, and uh, the the one right behind him was probably a little bit bigger than he was, but I couldn't see a beard for sure. And in oh, Iowa, yep. it's got to be a bearded bird. It could be a bearded hen. But it's got to have a beard. Yep. And I'm like, I'm not shooting that one uh, because I can't tell if he's got one. The one in the back, you could see had one clearly. And the lead goblin one, he you could definitely see he had one. So I was like, all right, I got to get that lead one. And in that time, um, I had some better concealment because of where I decided to move. There's like a patch of like thorns or something in between us. And... Um, I kind of worked my way slowly to get into the prone position, like flat on my chest. Uh, and um, I had I already had racked the shell and everything, so I did all that right. I knew I had to have the gun ready to go. That's a big thing with turkey hunting. Like you said earlier, their eyesight is just so good. They're gonna, and I think they may have picked up on a little bit of movement of me trying to like get comfortable and, and get the gun into a good spot on my shoulder and everything yep. because it kind of looked my way, but it wasn't enough to like really alert them. And I didn't have the world's best camo. I was wearing this hat that I have on right now. And I mean, it's a green and black hat, but, but uh, not like, you know, really great camo either. And... Uh, so, like, I wasn't super concerned. I didn't have a face mask on or anything, you know, or a scarf. Um, I did have a camouflage rain jacket and camouflage rain pants. So, the rain may have helped me in that regard, too, because yeah. <laughs> it was probably better camo than what I had underneath. So, I I just laid there as still as I could, get got my gun ready. Well, then the problem when you're laying prone like that is now, like, every contour of the earth changes your your view you yeah. know and they were kind of walking in a depression and so what started is i could see him playing his day at about 50 yards it was like that's too far of a poke you know i can't i can't do that um but then as they were like so i was waiting for him to walk plus i needed him to get into a safe line for where i thought if there is another hunter i think he's right there well then <clears throat> the way that depression worked that they were in their head like starts to drop below the contour of the earth so like I, i'm like oh no i'm gonna let this perfect opportunity slip through my fingers and so I'm like, all right the next time that lead one's head pokes up here i gotta go and so like that goes, now or never moment exactly yeah. and so like he bobs his head down and then head up and i've learned from actually watching the hunting public um, Aaron Warbritton uh, had talked about like I think what he does is he does one final call right before he shoots to get the turkey to jolt his head up so that way he can direct those pellets away from the meat and the fan and everything and so I knew I wanted I didn't want to shoot him while his head was kind of down a little bit I wanted him to be extending his head his neck 
And so when he did that, it's like, that was the time, boom, and, and just dropped the hammer on him. And I just halfway expected, like, because of the contour of the earth or something, like like maybe those the ground was going to block my pellets or something like that. But no, man, it was it was lights out for him. You know, he he was down right away. The other two took off, and and uh, um, I walked up to him, and and uh, he you know he did some flopping yet, and uh, but but it was a, it was a good shot, good fatal shot, and I had my first bird, man, and it felt so good. Like I I called my dad. And I said I think this is probably my my biggest hunting accomplishment because you know. Other than talking to guys on podcasts, maybe talking turkey, you know, talking shop with other turkey hunters or something, you know, I've never gone turkey hunting with an experienced turkey hunter ever. You know, that wasn't the case with deer hunting. My first time I ever went deer hunting, I went by myself. Like, but after that, a really good friend of mine named uh, Kevin Phelps kind of took me under his wing and like, you know, he took me to a good spot to deer hunt and he helped me get my first deer. And so having that mentorship and, and he even took me in for like a day of scouting and, and like sighting in and stuff like that beforehand where I started to just kind of learn it. Like his help was, was tremendous. But with turkeys, because I just never like took it all that seriously, I never really sought that help out. You know what I mean? So to like finally kind of, and it felt so far away. Like this is because I mean, you talked about this earlier when you said that first place that you went hunting, you were like, I've seen birds in here before, so I may as well hang out here. I have learned that is crucial with turkey hunting. You got to go where you've seen birds before. It's not like deer, like where you hunt the habitat, right. you know, like with deer, you can be like, oh yeah, that, you know, it's kind of like fishing, like bluegill fishing. You know, it's <laughs> like that, that over there, There's a honey hole over say, there. that's a fishy spot. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a good, that's, that's looking pretty bucky over there, you know? Yeah. That is not the case with turkeys. I mean, it kind of is. Like, you can kind of be like, yeah, you know, that looks like it'd be probably be a good spot where you might go looking for them. But if you don't ever see any there, you may as well not seriously consider hunting there. You got to see birds somewhere, I think, to know that they're actually there. Just because they're, they're it's the way they're distributed on the land, you know? Yeah. And And so, after kind of piecing that together and then... You know, just getting the fact that I was able to call them in. I was able to use my decoys effectively. I was able to get myself into a good position. Like like it, like I, I was able to legitimately orchestrate a successful hunt. And that just felt, oh man, did that feel good. You know, that, that felt really, really good. And uh, unbelievable, honestly. Like, going there, it's like, I didn't think I'd ever... I really want to touch the head on a turkey. They just look so freakish and like squishy, you know. Like <laughs> They're like jelly. dinosaurs. Don't they call, yeah, they are. Don't, don't they call them jelly heads too? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's what that's what it is, man. It's like a bag. It like is their head. It's an interesting <laughs> texture. <for sure. laughs> yeah, but but uh, yeah, like everything about it, I just thoroughly enjoyed and just getting to sit there in the quiet by myself a little bit and and just uh, kind of soak it in and. And then, like you talked about, you know, having the history of being there for, whether it's for backpacking or shed hunting with my son or um, uh, squirrel hunting uh, with my friend, uh, all those reasons that I had already been there enjoying that spot um, led 
to that experience made me comfortable enough to go and pull that off there. And, and, uh, and it was, that was a, that was a pretty special moment. And so now I'm hooked on turkey hunting. Yeah. You're gonna have to go again. I, that's a really cool story. Um, I like that couple things that you played around with the calling and tried to switch up to the other side (laughs) and try to mimic another hand. Like there was more than one, you know, it's hit or miss on that. I feel Mm -hmm. like on that type of stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I think I mentioned I called one in last year while I was archery hunting to 40 yards. And uh, once he saw my starting decoy, he turned and took off. Well, right. I had been trying to work him for a while, and I, I primarily use mouth calls. And I have two in my little, it's like a old hunter specialty, his little clear oh, nice, pack, yeah. right? And I just carry it in my pocket. I've been working this bird for a while, and he was not coming in i knew he was down in the valley out in the wide open Mm -hmm. where this section of the ground was normally crp had been burned off just days prior Mm -hmm. so i couldn't see him but i knew just over the hill he was down there and he was probably strutting in that uh you know that black um i mean it was it was fresh enough of a burn there were still little hints of smoke right wow so i was there right around that time but it wasn't until i pulled out my little pack, my hunter specialties pack. I swapped in a new mouth call that was an old raspy hen, and I turned the opposite way and started directing my call. And it was at that point that he came right in. So it was just matching the right tone that he was looking for. Yeah, so I like that you played around with that. That's really cool. And you figured out right away, oh, he doesn't like the sound of that, so we're going to go back to what we we were working before. I mean, it's exactly like you said. It's like, He's not liking that sound. Whatever for whatever reason, that sound does not register with this bird. Yeah, you know, it's like that's that's what I want to hear. And so, yeah, it was it was fun getting to, to learn that. I mean, think of the amount of learning that I was able to get from that hunt. Whether or not I ended up shooting that bird, like just from hearing him gob doing all that gobbling and how how to call and not call. You know, I always heard that that's like one of the top mistakes that a new turkey hunter will make is they call too much and so i was trying really hard not to do that you know i think one of the first years i went turkey hunting i had i had done too much calling and and that hurt my chances for sure and so i was trying hard not to do that and you know just the reward for i mean i was soaked the only thing dry on me were my feet and that's a testament to crispy boots, which hey, by the there way, you go. by the way, you can get those on both Camel Fire Black Ovis, which I uh, have a, an affiliate po- uh, sponsorship with. So you head over to my Instagram, get that link. But uh, the, that, those were the only part of me that was dry. I was totally drenched. And uh, but it's like it didn't matter once those birds walked out, you know. You'll always and remember that too. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a forever memory for me, uh, just because of how that all played out together. And so, I yeah i i was it was it was even better than I'd hoped it'd be. Honestly, I couldn't even picture myself ever tagging a turkey. I think I kind of figured in my head that <clears throat> I'd go one of two ways. Either I would gradually become more into it and just try and make it happen someday or i'd gradually like fall out of it and i just wouldn't turkey hunt you know what i mean yeah and uh sorry to my wife i uh 
had that success, that little taste of success. So <laughs> I'm into it, you know. I, that'll <laughs> that'll stick around too. I, it gets you hooked. I, you know, I'm I love deer hunting. I I really get into it whenever I have the time to go and can make it happen. And um, I'll always say, oh, I like deer hunting more. But man, when spring comes around, <laughs> and I hear that first gobble when I get out of the vehicle, it's yep. just it's just it's a whole mode switch for me my mind just says this is i like this a lot better it's the you know the excitement of being able to hear them yep. know where they're at and try to play games with them it's more action that way and yeah can you uh, imagine how impossible turkey hunting would be if they didn't gobble oh, well, I, think, be, I think you probably look at fall turkey hunting numbers i mean there's way less people hunting them in the fall but also it's just way harder to oh for sure yeah to get a bird in the fall yeah, you know the first the first turkey I ever shot with my bow was in the fall, um, and that was just an accident because uh, I mentioned I grew up in Missouri. In Missouri, when you buy your fall archery deer hunting tags, you get two turkey fall turkey tags for archery printed with them. Oh wow! I don't know if it's still that way, so sure. don't hold me to the yeah you yeah know, to that. It was but back in the it day, was yeah. that it was back then. You buy you you get two any deer permits. Um, resident, and then as you know, you you watch them spit out of the machine at the Walmart counter, right? And then two more pop out, and it's two fall turkey tags for wow. archery. So um, that was a, a fall hunt that I was I was bow hunting out of a ground blind that we had set up in the timber, and um, a flock of hens and uh, like a couple jakes came out in front in the timber in the morning about 7:30. And they were only five yards in front of the ground blind. <laughs> so imagine the movement of drawing the bow back, and they never yeah. saw me. So obviously the ground blind worked for that yeah. and uh, shot one of them. So that was awesome. standing there, and that was Yeah, that's cool. awesome. That's, I've heard that, that getting a, a turkey in the fall is, is near impossible, so that's quite, that's quite a feat. Yeah, so. Do you know anybody that actively goes fall turkey hunting? Yeah, I got a friend who always buys a tag every year, and I think he's may have gotten one. I've heard the way to hunt them is you kind of have to, you have to almost flush them like a pheasant. Hmm. Like if you want to, like I'm gonna go turkey hunt. I guess you could kind of almost hunt the habitat, like we were talking about. Doesn't really work that well for turkeys, but he's this guy talked about flushing them and waiting for them to, like regroup. And try and be where you think they're going to regroup or something like that was, was, and I don't know. I don't, I think there's probably a better way than that. Um, that's just what that one guy's opinion was. I think, like we just said, I think you could probably try and hunt the habitat. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah those look like good roosting trees over there. And, you know, this is a good bare ground piece here somewhere they can peck around for bugs or whatever and try and go there. But I just don't think there's really a super reliable way to try and, try and get on birds in the fall you know but yeah but yeah i mean it's just a cool thing it's cool to be hunting in the spring everything's so verdant you know that that lush and, and that's the other beauty of following a thunderstorm that green that's popping this time of year normally after a thunderstorm is really popping like it's yeah. it's like out of your you know it's bonkers how beautiful it is you know you just can't believe what you're looking at and it's so different from hunting in October, which has its own beauty. It's my favorite time of year. And I always love deer hunting more than turkey hunting. But, but man, do I see the value and do I see why people really, really get into it. But 
Well, this has been this has been a great conversation, Brad. We got to have you back on the show again. It's good to know that you're living close by, and uh, we were supposed to have Caleb join us tonight to tell us about his turkey story. You're gonna have to listen in on in a future episode to hear about that. Um, but uh, don't forget about Caleb. Give him a follow. You can find his link in the show notes on this podcast, and uh, also. Our good buddy, Alex Gruen, he is one of the sponsors of this podcast. Uh, you can go to eastwesthunts.com. Alex is a hunt planner. And again, I advertised it earlier. If you are a client of Alex's, you can count on yourself getting, if he likes you enough, that is. So don't, you know, don't be like some kind of duber or something or, or give him unsafe vibes. He'll probably invite you on a hunting trip at some point. He likes to do that with his clients. And that's like having an expert guide. Uh, there with you. He's hunted pretty much everything this country has to offer and uh, all over the place. So you can contact Alex about getting a hunting plan for yourself. Use the promo code FIRSTGEN10 and you'll save yourself 10%. And uh, that goes for everything. Gear rentals, uh, the, the hunt planning we just talked about, tag application services, whatever it is. First Gen 10 save yourself 10%. And then you can take that money and then apply it to the presenting sponsor of this podcast. Good old Spartan Forge, which I use all of the time. It's super helpful. I marked my spot where I had my success on Saturday right afterwards on Spartan Forge. I wanted to know how far of a hike it was because it was farther than it's always farther than I remember the spot where I like going. And uh, I was able to, you know, after the fact, mark where I made the kill and then mark back to, to my truck and find that distance. Those tools are so nice if you do any kind of uh, work like I do. So in the prairie business, we do plantings for people. We also come along a lot of customers who want hunting habitat. And so I can map out on Spartan Forge the exact acreage that they uh, need. And then if you're a busy guy like Brent or myself, come fall, you got to be doing putting in the daddy time too. You got to prioritize those days you're going to be out in the woods. So you use the deer behavior prediction aspect of the app, really the original bread and butter of Spartan Forge. Now the mapping has become so good that it's hard to say which is, you know, which is the thing you're really after when you're going with Spartan Forge, but the deer behavior prediction is phenomenal. It's spooky. It's like, it's like, I can't believe this is real. And that's because it's based off of radio collar data on from actual deer. So that's why it's so stinking accurate. So make sure you go over to Spartan Forge by hitting the link in the show notes, or you can get the link um, in my Instagram bio. Go onto my link tree there. It should be one of the top links available. Click on that, and you can actually download it for free and get access to all the mapping. That's right. You get the, the landowner data and stuff. But if you want to add a few features to that, well, then that's when you <clears throat> subscribe to those features that you want. You can even subscribe just during the time when you really need them. So get on board with Spartan Forge. Big shout-out to them. Super thankful for them uh, sponsoring this podcast for multiple years now. <coughs> Well, my voice is running out. We got more morels to eat. They were delicious. Big thank you to my wife for making them. Big thank you again to Peyton for finding them. And a big thank you for Brent coming over here to eat them with me. 
And I've uh, been hogging them all, man. Hey, I'm sorry no, about that. I'm going to send some home with you because you got to eat the morels. <laughs> it's part of the mystery. You got to eat them while you're while they're good, man. You got to eat them right now. They're just sitting right in front of me, too. That's right. (laughs) The taste of spring, you know. I really want someday to get the Triple Crown. The Triple Crown was created on this podcast a few years ago when talking to Garrett Fike. And the Triple Crown is this. In one day, and I I even think it's got to be as specific as one event, like one hunting event. You got to bag a gobbler. You got to find at least one morel mushroom. And you have to find a shed. Ooh. If you can do all three of those in one day, you get the triple crown. And we're still going to create triple crown T-shirts at some point. Caleb's all about it. He wants to do it. Um, but uh, uh, we'll get some we'll get some triple crown T-shirts going on. Uh, Garrett Fike almost did it um, this year. He got a gobbler and a, a couple of sheds in one day. Um, I, I should ask him if he found any morels while he was doing that too. But. Uh, Man, that's that's the next thing on my list now. I got to get this triple crown. But uh, uh, I was not after I was soaking wet and uh, not realizing how heavy a turkey actually is. And with all my other soaking wet gear that I had and my shotgun and everything, I was like, I can't go looking for morels right now. <laughs> <laughs> and sheds. I got to get back to this truck. So uh, I hiked out and I, I I didn't make it happen. But Maybe you're still out there. Maybe you can still fill a tag. Whatever the deal is, chase that triple crown. Fill that tag. Find some mushrooms if you still can. If you're out west, you definitely can. Um, still find some sheds. You can still do that out west, too. Or you can go up north and look for moose paddles or whatever. Whatever it is, have fun doing it and be safe doing it. And remember to take care and take someone